Welcome. My name is uh, Professor Martin Riley from University of Munich, and uh, I'm happy to share with you some experience on clinical studies. In fact, I'm involved in clinical studies, especially on lymphoma for quite a while, uh, essentially since more than 30 years, and would like to share with you some knowledge about infrastructure in clinical trials, um, standards of care, which we call uh, um, GCP, and also um, what about our recent, let's say, political movement, although it's not that recent, and I will share this information with you as well. So let's start with um, the first point. Um, what, let's start general. What is GCP about in clinical trials? And here I would like to share with you a little bit, let's say, historical perspective, um, which is about um, the harmonization of GCP. So this initiative started in, in 1999. There was an international uh, consortium, which is called ICH nowadays. And by the way, this was not established far away. This was established in Swiss, in the middle of Europe itself. And the idea at that time was really to establish standards of care, if you want so, uh, how to perform clinical trials. Um, this top-down initiative was the first time when really standards were defined for clinical studies. So it was really a breakthrough. At that time, uh, it was mostly um, authorities, e uh, EU was involved, but otherwise national authorities. Uh, um, uh, it was also um, uh, some pharmaceutical companies were involved in CROs. They set up uh, the plan and defined uh, these criteria, which um, went on to the EU directive, which became active in 2004. Um, and that was really, uh, again, the first approach to formalize the performance of clinical trials. Very important. And to be honest, this initiative was driven for company-sponsored trials for registration trials. In fact, uh, I know the guy was responsible uh, for that initiative at EU. By the way, he was not a medical doctor, he was a lawyer, and he was not even aware that there is something like uh, academic or non-registration trials. Anyway, this went on. Um, and uh, now, 20 years later, um, uh, ICH started an initiative to, if you want, so renovate these guidelines. And the idea was really to, uh, I would call it reality check. And uh, we joined the first meeting at FDA at that time. And it was quite interesting, the independent of um, the field of work, might it be neurology, psychiatry, cardiology, him onc anyway, um, everyone had the same comments. Uh, independent, by the way, also for position. A lot of, of patient advocacy groups were involved, also all kinds of different um, um, study groups, but also independent of regional um, heritage people were they are from Asia, from Africa, from uh, Northern US or uh, Northern America, US or Europe. And they came all, 
up with the same comments. And here we are. Uh, the comment was that based on the good principles, uh, there were some, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, perverse interpretation of, the, of these uh, good guidelines, resulting in overwhelming safety reports. Uh, and that was, for example, that um, really safety reports were over flooding uh, the, the local investigators, so they were not even able to recognize the real safety um, signal. Secondly, um, there was also an, uh, the patient informed consents were written, well, I, I sorry, this is polemic, but uh, this makes it clear, written by lawyers for lawyers. This is, you know, the standards been set by uh, the lawyers of the companies performing registration uh, trials. And we double checked that and our patient representatives said, well, we are no more able to understand that. And, and that's true, because if you get a, st a staple of, of 50 or more pages, whoever is going to read that uh, besides even understanding it. And then the third point was really that uh, the uh, overboarding administrative work cost was just by introduction of the EU directive. We, we compared that in our sequential studies, increased um, uh, the administration, uh, administrative burden by 10 times. So essentially, uh, studies became 10 times more expensive. Therefore, public uh, funding was no more available sufficiently for these expensive uh, trials, and that significantly slowed down the academic research. So that's the challenge. Now, how can we solve that? And, and that is where, um, you know, we initiated uh, our coalition for reducing bureaucracy in clinical trials. And the idea was really, we realized all of us have started some initiatives during the last 20 plus years to uh, give back this information to ICH, to the authorities uh, that here we have a problem. Um, and we also realized based on our individual activities, the outcome was rather limited. So this was the point where we decided to establish our coalition for reducing bureaucracy. And that is really, let's say, uh, the basis for all our future activities. And that is bringing together the Biomed Consortium, which is very important because it really brings together the scientific medical societies from all different fields. As mentioned already, including uh, urology, including cardiology, including uh, whatever you think of, you name it. And therefore, uh, we, we now speak with one voice. Now, we address the problems, but that is what we did before. And we also, which is very important, included patient advocacy groups because the patient is in the center of all what we're doing. So if there's a shortcoming, for example, in the information to our study patients, then this is a serious problem. And with this united activity, we set up, set together, defined working groups, um, set together with authorities, 
Um, it's fair to say with, that EMA is involved, um, that also FDA has a very high interest and all of these initiatives luckily is uh, co-coordinated by EHA. What are our major bullet points? Well, here we are. Um, we decided to focus on three major points to have a start somewhere. You know, there are endless points, uh, um, but these are really the core points of our first steps of the initiative. The one thing when it comes uh, to um, the safety reporting, I already mentioned uh, that every local investigator and even much more so uh, the study sponsors are over flooded by a single reports uh, which are doubtful in their, their clinical relevance, to be honest. And therefore, we had very clear messages. Uh, the one point is, well, let's somewhat classify them. Because all of these um, safety reports, to be honest, some of them just don't make any sense. It does not make any sense to list symptoms which are due to progress of the underlying malignant disease, but definitely not due to the compound being tested. Um, the other thing is, uh, so if you do it, do it reasonable, the reporting. And the other thing is that we think uh, that we should prioritize the toxicity data. And being a simple guy, we thought about uh, yellow, orange, red flag. Yellow flag means just general warnings and not necessarily um, contributing to the specific study. The orange uh, flag is a more specific, non-urgent warning. And the red flag, these are the real serious side effects, which are potentially life-threatening. And only these should be delivered within 24 to 72 hours. Having said that, the major point really is that we should provide aggregated safety data. No one oversees this floods of reports and it owned to make any sense out of that you need some aggregated safety reports let's say every three months or so because this is exactly how uh, data safety monitoring boards have a look at the data they are not going through single reports i can guarantee you that because that's just not, not overseeable they do it in an aggregated form and this is what we ask for also for our local pis the other thing and definitely the format has to be also simplified um, shortened focused on 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 the details the second bullet point if you want so is the patient informed consents. It's very clear that the current version of patient informed consents are unreadable for um, non-legal persons. They're even not fully understandable for medical doctors, I have to admit that. So we really have to focus on the essentials and therefore we said, um, Details can be moved to so some amendments and, uh, you know, only the electronic link should be included in, in the patient informed consent. And then uh, people with specific interest may go there. But otherwise, it's 
you know, more confusing than really uh, clarifying the situation for the patient. Secondly, we should really focus on key information sections. And we thought it's, it's reasonable to define a length of 1,000 words, which somewhat corresponds to five pages or so. But this is what you not are able to explain in 1,000 words. You won't be able to, to explain in 10,000 words. I'm sorry. At least not in the way that patients will understand that. And the third thing, you may consider uh, to add figures, pictures, tables, whatever, to make things clear because a picture says more than 1,000 words. Having said that, the most um, complex challenge is really the overall regulatory situation of clinical trials. And I think um, we, we are losing quality in the interest of our patients. I already mentioned your examples. Patient informed consent is no more understandable for the patient in the current uh, form. Secondly, safety signals got lost because they are just like a pin in a haystack. And thirdly, um, I think we really should, when it comes to documentation, performance of studies, we really should focus on the core points of the study, which is checking for safety and efficacy of some interventions. And having said that, we have a good example. The good example is, is in fact, the COVID pandemia, because during uh, the pandemia, studies being focused on some medication for this viral infection, uh, you know, this whole process was slimlined. And I strongly believe it's uh, not less safety, it's more safety, uh, more safe for our patients to be included in such trials. So I think we have to challenge overall the concept of clinical trials. And in the, uh, this is a difficult task for uh, uh, the ICH, but to define GCP, what is really mandatory and saying what is not mandatory. Because currently everything is being included, being said, it's nice to have, but you have to include it. And that's not the right way. So to summarize, I told you a little bit about um, the historical background, where does GCP come from? I told you now that after 20 years of the initial 1999 establishment of GCP by ICH, we now had during the last couple of years uh, the chance to, to give feedback on, uh, let's say, the reality check of people being involved, both patients and doctors. We, we established some working groups, and this is really focusing on three major points. One point is reducing the flooding of safety reports. And my really my core point is just provide aggregated safety data regularly. The second thing, patient informed consent. And you could discuss endless about that, but the major rule would be for me, no more than thousand words. And finally, when it comes to the overall regulatory um, framework of clinical trials, I think it's crucial to say these are the essentials, these are uh, mandatory, 
and others, these are not mandatory. These may be uh, mandatory for first-in-man uh, trials, but not in the usual academic trials comparing two established and registered approaches. So finally, I really would like to refer to our webpage, uh, which is uh, CTS.eu. There you can uh, retrieve additional information on our initiative. There's also a specific patient uh, um, region where you can see um, who's been involved and you're more than invited to spread the news and invite your local study groups, uh, patient advocacy groups and others to join the club. And if there's any additional information or questions, uh, please contact me right away and I will do the best to answer your questions. Thank you for your attention. And uh, I think this is a subject which involves all of us, more or less. Therefore, it's really a crucial step forward that we're now joining forces. Bye-bye.